0: say we're going to time travel to 2070. most people go into right we're under about 10 meters of water or everything's on fire and we're completely fucked if you say it's 2100 everybody imagines it's like star trek and everyone's flying around in space but 2030 Uh for me is the distance out that we need to get to because we need to be able to have the longing for that in such a way that it's being like throwing a whirlpool in front of you that then draws you towards it it's like that's, oh, that's what that's storytelling can do we need to be creating those things that then start to sort of suck us in
1: welcome to the story paths podcast i'm theodore lowry and this is the podcast where we explore links between story and culture and i'm happy to bring on the show today one of my heroes rob hopkins And I know him best for starting the Transition Town Movement, or co-founding the Transition Town Movement, because it's a very community-based movement. And one of the goals of this movement is to offer a juicy and fun transition from resource-intensive, competitive capitalism to something more cooperative, community-based, earth-celebrating, inclusive. He's I would say a champion of the imagination, of the imagination's capacity to precede what we then live into. He's a longtime activist. He's written many books. He's got a great podcast as well. I'll link all this in the show notes. And he's a man of principles because of his care for the environment, for example. He's decided never to fly again, to make his way in the world in less heavy ways. And true to style, he's doing this in a way that doesn't feel like a diminishment of his options in life, but actually feels like it expands them. So in today's episode, we speak about envisioning the future or rather futures that we may really want to live into in a practical way, and also in a beautiful, visionary way. And if you're listening to this and would prefer to watch our conversation, there is a video of this particular podcast as well, and you can find that link below. Today's guest is Rob Hopkins, and Rob is many things. I know you, Rob, from co-founding the Transition Town Movement which I learned about from my mother, who lives in Courtney on Vancouver Island. She's been involved in that. And also on Salt Spring Island, where I lived for some time, where they're quite active. And actually, there's a Salish Sea webinar that they're hosting, which is coming up very soon about this wonderful ecosystem I find myself in. And Rob is the author of a number of books, including a couple I have here, From What Is to What If, and The Transition Companion, which is a companion to the transition handbook they're full of great ideas practical ways of reducing energy use and you know increasing community involvement and transforming communities there's a lot of physical ideas and there's a lot of social cultural ideas as well and track records of people who've tried them out so rob thank you so much for joining me here on the humble story paths podcast.
0: And joy, thank you for thank you for inviting me.
1: This is a podcast about the connection between culture and stories. And what I'd like to ask you about today is the role of story in community change, in coming together, in transitioning to more ecologically sustainable and generative ways of living. You speak about it a lot in your books. There's a a chapter from what is to what if, what if we became better storytellers. And I see you as a champion of the potential for imagination and how first things are imagined and then lived into. So in this context of imagination and story and community change, how would you describe story in that context?
0: Where I would start with that is that I, back since the beginning of the transition movement, I've done lots and lots of presentations and talks and public events. And I used to start those presentations with like 20 minutes of graphs there the, were all the really terrifying graphs about how we're going, everything's going, all the, and pictures of tar sands and all that ghastly stuff, you know. And what I observed was that when I would do that, people would lean backwards physically. People would lean away from you. And as soon as I would start telling stories, people would lean in. You know, it's like in the book Sapiens, he talks about it's the fact that we are a storytelling creature is what distinguishes us as a species. Particularly for me, the stories that always interest me are stories of people like the people who I'm talking to, who just took that extra little step and stepped across that threshold of, so shall we? yeah maybe we should yeah let's do it on saturday you know stories that i like to collect are are those stories and also in this world of people who are arguing for a different future and trying to connect people into the future i've become really convinced actually what we don't need are these utopian stories of these great ecological civilizations these great fantastical worlds where, you know, everything is all like totally ecological. The thing that we need most urgently is the stories of the next 10 years. Rupert Reed and Manda Scott coined this term through We need throughtopian stories, which are the stories of how people in 2023 got started and what happened and what it led to and then what that led to. And then, and as much as anything, what did it feel like to be part of this change starting to unfold. So Kim Stanley Robinson wrote a book called The Ministry for the Future, which is the next 10, 15 years told us a story of how we turned it around. And it's one version of that. For me, I I always love, there's a thing that Rilke, the poet, once said, the, the future must enter into you a long time before it happens, which I think is so beautiful and something that we really forget as activists, that, The work of the next 10 years is about the cultivation of longing for a different future. And Walida Imarisha, who who does a lot of work around speculative fiction in the Black tradition, the Black community, and does a lot of work around Octavia Butler and her work, she said, all organising is science fiction, which I think is so brilliant. All organising is science fiction, because really the only way that we're going to survive you know, let's not sugarcoat that particular pill. We are in a terrible predicament that is moving incredibly quickly, as the IPCC said in a report that came out two days before we recorded this conversation. My sense is that we are only going to make that change on the scale that we need to do, like the UN say, a rapid transformation of society, deep, systemic shift of what we do. That's only going to happen if it feels like an invitation towards something irresistible and magnificent and historic and delicious, rather than being torn away from something that's somehow irreplaceable. And we can't do that without storytelling and art and music and film. We can't do it without the artists and the storytellers because they allow us to test drive it. They allow us to step into it. And a lot of increasingly the work I'm doing now is about finding ways to help people visit that 2030 and spend some time there and become familiar with it and then go back again and become more familiar with it. Unless we create a North Star like that, we're not going to do it. And storytelling is one of the best ways we have as human beings for creating a new North Star.
1: Mm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I should mention also you have a podcast called From What If to What Next?, and in this podcast, each episode you posit a different question. You know, what if we were trauma informed? What if permaculture were taught in schools? Uh, what if we were trained in storytelling? What if there were a ministry of the imagination? Mm-hmm. And these these powerful questions, they're openings to what's possible. And you invite listeners through a time machine into twenty thirty, what's that future like? If we'd done everything right in this particular regard, as well as other regards, but focusing each episode on a particular topic and a particular question, and bringing people in who are really in those fields and have been for a long time, which is beautiful. And I'd like to ask you. So there's there's envisioning. I, I would I would call this envisioning. Is that a good word for it? Kind of envisioning together. Yeah, yeah, we can go with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, kind of stepping into possibility, and like you say, tasting, touching. There's more bird songs, not so many cars on the street. Conversations have a different tone to them. People aren't in such a rush, like getting into details. And then we are here in this time, 2023, as of the recording. And we have all our current situation, our current problems. But the skeptic who would say, well, what's the point of all this envisioning? We've got work to do. What would you say
0: bridges that envisioning and change? The people who inspire me most in this work at the moment tend to be women of color from the U.S. Adrienne Marie Brown, Wilida Imarisha, Mariam Mariame Kaba, Rashida Phillips—people who come from a, a radical political Black background who recognize how vital the imagination is to this work and so we're, so Mariami Kaba you mentioned the podcast and thank you for the plug and one of the people who I have most wanted to have on that podcast who I'm thrilled I'm going to be speaking to in about 3 weeks is Mariami Kaba who is a great shero of mine, a prison abolition activist in the US. And she wrote a book called We Do This Till We Free Us. And for me, the prison abolition movement is one of the great what-if imagination movements in the world. Like to keep that question alive for decades, when all around you, the prison industrial complex is just being built and built and built. And to hold that question of what if there were no prisons, and then how that then leads you into but then what would education be like and, and what would funding be like and what would uh, housing policy be like? What would health policy be like? All of that opens up this whole kind of reimagining of everything. first thing I read of hers was an interview that she gave where she said, we must imagine while we build, always both. And it really, really stayed with me. You know, I always say to people, I'm not saying that we should all just be wandering around with our head in the clouds, just dreaming all the time and imagining stuff, because that doesn't get us anywhere. You know, we have, it has, has to be accompanied by action and people rolling their sleeves up and creating things. But then at the same time, if we're just rolling up our sleeves and creating things, and we're not stopping to imagine and dream, we're really ineffective because we don't have a really clear story of where we're going and what it is we really want to create. So that imagining piece feels, feels vital to me. There's an amazing organization called the Center for Artistic Activism in the US. And they do work around this idea of imagine winning. Like they work with activists and activist organizations. They say, imagine winning. What would it feel like if you actually won? I think pretty much every movement, every organization that I've been part of over a long, long time Nobody really believes that we're actually going to be successful. I remember being part of one project in my town where we were fighting to stop Costa Coffee, which is a big national coffee chain, from coming and opening a branch in our town. And we were one of the only places in the country that actually won and they decided not to come. And I remember that morning when we heard and we were sitting around the table it was like, this feels really weird. <laughs> Something feels really strange here. I can't quite put my finger on it. Oh, yes, it's the fact that everything I've ever been involved in before in terms of campaigning has never won, and this oh. feels really, really good. And so I, I feel like that we need to be able to be to do the work that we do underpinned by a tangible sense of direction and opening up those spaces for people a big part of our activism i think needs to be opening up spaces where people i call them what if spaces where people can come together and really dream and really imagine and i've seen you know in bologna in italy they have this thing called the civic imagination office set up by the administration in mexico city the mayor created something that was conceived of as a ministry of imagination within his department you know we need to be creating space for people to be imaginative in a way that's really well facilitated so i'm not saying we should just be imaginative although we should just do things we have to do both of those things because Mm. work without a vision is just drudgery really
1: Mm. yeah well put and without having a deliberate vision we tend to slip perhaps into the predominant vision of our times like you talk about how dystopian thinking at this point is lazy imagination it's very easy to think in a dystopian way
0: and just to say on that i'm a huge admirer of joanna macy i've met her a couple of times Mm. i think of her as kind of a sister for me she's one of the great bodhisattvas of our time i think she's Mm. awesome and her work that reconnects is is amazing i heard her giving a talk recently where where she was working with a group and she does that amazing exercise where you sit opposite a partner. And you take it in turns to say, when I think about the collapse of nature or something, I feel. And then the other person does it. You often, the other person, you're deep listening while they talk about that. And she did three of them. And they were like, when I think about you know, the collapse of the climate, I feel. When I think about the collapse of society, I feel. And another one, I can't remember. And I was thinking, where's the fourth one about when I think about mm. being part of The brick, utterly transformative social movement that managed to do everything we possibly could have done in the time to slow this down as much as we humanly could have done and reinvented pretty much everything, I feel. Because Mm -hmm. if we don't make space for that in that conversation, like if we imagine we're going to somehow do everything we can do, but purely with a narrative about collapse and extinction, we're really, really deluding ourselves. And and, and and so for me, it's, it's really important that we bring that bit in. You know, of course, we have to make and hold those conversations about what if it's too late, but we should also make and hold those spaces for what if it's not.
1: That's beautiful. And it shows to me that this is not a naive practice. And speaking of Joanna Macy's work, it's striking that she's found that going into and through grief is empowering. She looked at why are people looking away from the long-term impact of nuclear power is part what, of what got her started and climate change and so on. And finding that coming into grief together was actually a way that people could then, then find a deeper level of commitment and empowerment and then what I hear you saying is that yes and to then envision together from a very grounded place. I know sorrow grounded in the reality I know pain. of the pain if I'm real.
0: As I've used my time Now lend me to the ocean
1: Sing my songs when I'm gone
0: We have to realise that people need different ways in you know like Uh, there's a guy called Gregory Clay who just wrote a book recently called Utopia Utopianism for a Dying Planet and he says in that book only the extraordinary can save us you know and I feel increasingly like I have no idea if anything is gonna work I know the things I've done that haven't worked you know so maybe there's other things we can try that that might work, I'm doing a project which I so love doing called Field Recordings from the Future. Mm. The idea with that project is if you had a time machine and you could travel to 2030, to a 2030 that's the result of us having done everything we could have done. So the seven years between now and then were this extraordinary time of transformation and change. We've now, on the downward side of the carbon emissions curve, and the the pace is growing and people are really excited about it. If you could travel to that future and you could record what it sounded like and you could bring those recordings back with you to 2023 and you could play them to people, they'd be more precious than gold. Hmm. They'd be incredible. Like, I've been there. The thing that inspired me with this was I I saw in an article about – the Black Lives Matter protest in Washington in 2020. This woman had a t shirt on it said, I've been to the future, we won. Gave oh. me goosebumps. I thought that's just genius. And so this music project is based on this idea. I've been to the future, we won. And I'm gonna bring it back. So the beautiful thing is that most of the things that we know that we need to do to live in that way, in that future, already exist somewhere. Mm -hmm. William Gibson said, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. You know, you can visit car-free neighborhoods in cities. They already exist. You can visit Mm -hmm. cities that have so many bicycles. They have a bicycle rush hour. You can visit regenerative farms. You can visit places where beavers have been reintroduced and have totally transformed the landscape. So I go to those places and I make field recordings. And then I work with this amazing young ambient electronic music artist and then we make music that's based off these field recordings. The idea is that it's a really immersive thing. We've done five or six so far. We, we want to do eight so that we have an album's worth of stuff. It's a really lovely, really fun project. And then in parallel to that, I've just started working with the most amazing Belgian cartoonist to do a comic book of me and the musician's called mr kit so it's me and mr kit traveling to 2030 and where we go and what we see and how it is using graphic novel and a comic book to just make it make it kind of irresistible and thrilling i always keep saying to him that the the feeling that needs to come through in these cartoons is that feeling like when you went to your first festival like stepping into 2030 Mm -hmm. feel like when you were like it's kind of familiar but what are they doing over there? It's like if you, when you go to Venice. When I go to Venice, I'm just in like permanent curiosity mode. What's up there? What's down there? What's up there? What is that? And it's like, <laughs> that's what that future. We have to, in, in the comic book, we have to wear these kind of time travelers costumes not to protect us but the idea is that when we go into 2030 we don't kind of infect it with our 2023 cynicism and negativity Mm. we don't go there and do lots of past splaining and walk around going (laughs) oh that's never going to work because by 2030 (laughs) what's happened is people have reached this stage of thinking do you know what i think we might just do this actually you know there's this sense building of this feels like this is amazing this is great i think we might just be about to pull this off you know so so i'm always looking for those creative ways and you mentioned the time machine exercise in the podcast that's something that i do in talks and i've done it with 10 people in a workshop i've done it with one and a half thousand people in a hall in belgium where everyone closes their eyes and travels to 2030 and Mm. people often come up afterwards and are really moved by it because we never do it We never do it. And there's something about 2030 that if you say we're going to time travel to 2070, most people go into, well, we're under about 10 meters of water or everything's on fire and we're completely fucked. If you say it's 2100, everybody imagines it's like Star Trek and everyone's flying around in space. But 2030 Uh for me is the distance out that we need to get to because we need to be able to have the longing for that in such a way that somebody once described it as being like throwing a whirlpool in front of you that then draws you towards it. It's like that's, oh, that's what storytelling can do. We need to be creating those things that then start to sort of suck us in.
1: Yeah, and that they're juicy and dynamic.
0: I feel like through doing the podcast and hearing on 76 episodes, and in each episode I have two guests, and in the episode start out by them time-traveling us to 2030 and we walk around what's it like if we're exploring what if we had a universal basic income rather than having an intellectual discussion about whether a universal basic income is a good idea we travel to 2030 and i say so how does the air smell different like wow. how, how does it feel different how, how, how does how do you see it in reflected in people's faces that are walking past you as you walk around you know um stepping into it and and do, doing this comic book you know it's now like okay so what would the signs in the windows of the shops be what shops would there be what would a high street look like what what are people wearing there's a lovely project it was people who were trying to think of new words that we're going to need by then you know maybe there are things that we're going to need then that we don't have words for at the moment so we could have quite fun making them up what might those words be that people are going to need in that 2030 so I feel like anything that we can do to help people to mentally inhabit that world is really time well spent
1: and it reminds me of writing advice of being specific you know when writing stories they say try to give specific details Mm. of the characters lives and their interactions of physical details because those will bring readers in and they'll tend to point towards more universal principles rather than the other way around from mm. universal principles indicating the details. Like you say, with the universal income, yeah, we could have a debate about it, but we're, we're stuck in abstractions in a sense, right? I've got my abstract opinions and you've got yours. But If we get into the inhabiting of it, it's really tapping into one of these great powers that we have as human beings. Like you said earlier on, this, this capacity for imagination, the capacity for story, and then having a sense of what that feels like, then, oh, how can I get back to that? And then between us and them, what might the steps look like?
0: It's like, how do we create nostalgia for the future, I think? Mm. And that's the brief that I gave to, this, to, to the, Mr. Kit, the musician I'm working with, is I want this collection of music to make people feel really nostalgic about the future. Oh.
1: I like that because there is a great deal of nostalgia about the past and, you know, oh, things were better then and everything's getting worse. So to have that sense of the future. I'll I'll just share as well, this is something quite beautiful, bringing in a spiritual element to it. I was reading John O'Donohue, the Irish poet and writer, and he's talking about prayer. And, you know, the idea of praying for somebody has, has put me off at different times just because sometimes people want to pray for me that I'll have their specific religious beliefs. <laughs> that happened quite a bit. But the way he speaks about praying for somebody it's 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 a deep prayer. It's a prayer for somebody's well-being whatever that is for them, you know. And he talks about prayers from the past, from ancestors, prayers in the present, and he also talks about prayers from the future. And it's quite a beautiful sense because again when I think of people from the future, if I were to think of a generation or two down the road, the easiest imagination for me now would be to think they'd be angry at me and cursing me. You know, why didn't you live differently and now look? But the sense of uh, people from the future praying for us that we know this is a very difficult time to be in. We know you're doing your best and we just wish you well with this time and the choices you're making there's a sense of the, the future existing and that it's a, it's good enough that there's people there who are able to pull together that kind
0: of goodwill towards us that's really beautiful that sense of people in the future being so grateful as well like if you could go back in time and you could be sitting next to rosa parks on the bus Mm -hmm. what would you say to rosa parks good for you (laughs) because the thing is when we do the activism that we do i mean for her she was just sitting on the bus right she was like i'm this is what i'm doing i'm doing an action and you know loads of people have done it before her it's not like she was the only person who did it but I always say to people, like, I, for example, I was in, May in France last year where they had just launched Marseille en Transition and they did this big event, this big, like, open space, visioning, dreaming event. It's a way lots of transition groups get started. I said to them what I often say to groups at that early stage. I say, you, you need to imagine that in this work that you're doing, that the hand of history is on the small of your back, that you have no idea where this is going to go and what it's going to lead to. But I think it really... It's important that you do this work, that you hold this meeting with the idea in the back of your mind that in 10 years' time, someone's going to put a blue plaque up outside on the wall outside this building and say it was on that day that process started, that kick-started the transformation of this city. Because actually, if you, if you could sit next to Rosa Parks, you'd say, actually, mm. this you're, what you're doing now is going to kick start a chain of things that's going to lead to the Civil Rights Act in the United States... It's going to always be looked back on for decades as being one of the real kickstarters of moving the US towards being more equal, you know, compared to people's life back then in the early 60s and the, the experience of people of color's life. Now, of course, it's still got a long, long, long way to go. But, you know, a lot has changed during that time. And that's my sense. If we do the work that we do in the kind of climate space, the ecological space, the biodiversity space, and it's as successful as it can be in the situation that we're in, it's like the the gratitude of people in that future for having been the people who stepped up and did something. Yeah. That moment, and I see it again and again and again, that moment when people sit in a group around a table and they say, should we do it? Yeah, let's do it. You know, Goethe had that thing he said about, Uh you know, there is genius in that moment. And you never know where it's going to go. In my town, for example, I walked into a, in 2007, I walked into an old empty bank on my high, and a building that used to be the bank was now a film production company. And on the wall, they had a framed 1810 banknote issued by the Bank of Totnes, which is the name of my town in 1810, by the Bank of Totnes, a one pound note. Hmm. And I thought, wow, what would happen if we made some more? And what would happen? Like, would the queen come out and throw bricks through my window? Like, would the Bank of England lock us up somewhere? And we all sat around and we were like, I don't know. Maybe we'll just try and see. You know, And that moment then led to the Tottenham's Pound, which became one of the best-known things about our town for years. There's now 82 local currencies in France that are directly inspired by that project. Hmm. So you can start something like in in liege in belgium this incredible thing there called the 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 liege food belt which started with a group of small group people had this idea should we do it yes let's do it that's now transforming their city it's spreading to other cities in liege so i always feel like history is sitting around the table with us when we have those conversations and make those decisions
1: yeah definitely and there's a sense of expanding our sense of time like here in North America in particular, I find there's a very narrow sense of time looking backward and looking forward. It's like a couple generations back and then five years forward, you know? It's, yeah. it's, it's not much. And it's a nourishment for the imagination to expand the sense of time backwards and forwards. And it's a it's a greater context for considering the stories that we want to live into
0: Yeah, definitely. One of the people whose work I'm really inspired by at the moment is a woman called Rashida Phillips in the US, who does this stuff called Black Quantum Futurism. So, so interesting. And she's kind of like a superhero to me. So so she lives in, I think, North Pittsburgh. And it's a city where there's lots of pressure of gentrification and lots of people being driven out of their homes, lots of people of colour, communities of colour being pushed out of their homes. So by day, she's a housing lawyer. And she works to support families whose housing is threatened. And then at night, she does this stuff called Black Quantum Futurism, which is all about um, fusing of black politics and quantum physics and and futurism. And she brings these ideas of time from African thinking. Mm. So in the West, like you say, we have this very linear deep past, past, present, near future, future, it's like a line. That's like the way it goes. And she says, no, we're seeing it the wrong way. We should be seeing it like a wheel. And we're in the middle of the spokes of that wheel. And there are many spokes radiating out to the rim. And some of those take us to the past. Some of them take us to different futures. So she does these events where rather than collecting oral histories, she collects people's oral futures. And she writes so beautifully about how important it is that we bring time travel. She does these time machine, time traveling exercises. I just think she's my, she's the next person who I'm really working on the podcast because I think she's just incredible. Like at the moment, it's like the future is a thing, and everyone, well, in the future, like there's like a particular future, and and as climate activists, we all, it's like we're heading to this future that's a particular way. But mm-hmm. the IPCC, no, the United Nations published a report recently where they said all chance of staying below one and a half degrees is now over unless we see a rapid transformation of society. So all the newspaper articles were 1.5 is over, 1.5 is finished. No one had a headline that said, why don't we do a rapid transformation of society? Wouldn't that be cool? What would a rapid transformation (laughs) of society look like? And in terms of her time machine work, it's like, that's another spoke on the wheel. That is a future. So let's go there and spend time there and bring stories back from there. And so when I do talks now, I present it like I'm some kind of Victorian explorer who's been off around some extraordinary place and is coming back with all of these amazing tales of things that he's seen. And then I use photos and images of places that already exist now that I've been to and I play people recordings that I've made and I try to make it that sort of immersive, I've been to the future, we won, and I'm going to tell you all about it.
1: I like that. I like that sense of time as being more like a wheel with spokes, as well, yeah. with different possible futures. And when people envision together, I would guess that each person's future is a bit different. And when groups work together, they'll have different visions and such. And that that is part of it, isn't it? That mm-hmm. those braiding of possible futures is is really is part of it. So it's not only other multiple possible futures, but in a sense, each person brings aspects of different futures. Maybe that's where the quantum comes into it, where it's like a five-dimensional wheel, something like
0: that. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, I'd really recommend people look up the work that she's doing. It's quite extraordinary.
1: Yeah, I'll do that. I just want to acknowledge, you you said that Many times these endeavors fail. Activism endeavors fail. It seems a bit like building a compost where the specific desired outcome may not have come about, but the effort had an effect. You know, like the prisons might not have been abolished, but it was moved forward. And that maybe having that goal is important to envision, but that it's not all or nothing
0: yeah i mean one right. of the things we've always said in the transition movement is that we that we celebrate failure as much as success oh uh. because if you try something Even if it doesn't work, you have no idea who might be inspired by it and then go off and do something else. And it will have Mm -hmm. had impact and it'll have built new relationships and new connections. So we ran the Totnes Pound, which I mentioned before as a local currency scheme, which was very well known. And it ran for about 10 years. We had a £21 note because we just loved. People would come and visit the town and they would say, why have you got a £21 note? And we could say, well, why not? And I always really enjoyed (laughs) that part of it. (laughs) and but when but in 2019 we we wound the scheme down just because nobody was using cash anymore of any kind really and it became increasingly difficult to maintain it with volunteers people were quite tired it's a long time to run something like that if you don't have Mm -hmm. any meaningful support from local government and different people like that so so we did an event an evening that was called a celebration of the life and times of the Totnes pound Mm. and I gave a talk at it where I went through, well, was it a success or was it a failure? Well, it depends what you mean. It depends what you class success as. You know, did it become the currency of choice for everybody in Totnes and displace the need to use a currency? No, that clearly didn't happen. Did it mean thousands of people had the opportunity to rethink what a local economy could be like and who it could serve yes did it put this plant town on the map and inspire people all over the place to copy what we're doing yes did it create all sorts of conversations between people that otherwise wouldn't have happened during the time of an epidemic of loneliness yeah you know so there's all sorts Mm -hmm. of things it's like well it depends what we mean by success and failure Mm -hmm. and for me the most important thing is that people take a risk people feel Mm. happy to step outside of what's currently going on and try something and it might not work, but even if it doesn't work, you get to meet new people. You get to have an an interesting experience. I've been involved in projects that people could argue had failed, but that's a very, very narrow way of looking at them.
1: Mm, I agree. Yeah. And I appreciate you had, I might call it a closing ceremony for the Tatnus pound. Mm. Like, things have their life cycle. We have our life cycle. You know, when yeah. when my body is yeah. no longer uh, inhabitable, then it will return to the earth and give nutrients to other things. Yeah, to think if something didn't fully succeed and last forever, then it's a failure, is, is a very narrow way of seeing it. And to have that closing ceremony, so to speak, seems like it frees up the energy. It's like, this was great. Yeah. There's a celebration. We don't need to keep it going forever. We can we can use our energy in other ways and to close it together. It it's yeah. speaks of a relationship with death of our culture. I mean, just that things don't need to last forever. Yeah, things exactly. have their life cycle and they return their energy to the system after after it's done.
0: Exactly. I'm always a great believer that the projects that we do should should tell an amazing story. You know that story about the Totnes Pound went everywhere around the world. For there was a period right. of time where if people knew nothing about Totnes, they knew that we'd printed our own money. One of the wow. things that I'm always really proud of was a couple of years after we'd launched it, there was an article about it in a newspaper in Mexico, and it had a map of the UK on it that just showed three places: London, <laughs> Liverpool, Totnes. <laughs> little town of 9000 people but we were like we're on the map and and yeah i really like that you know i I just i think well we need to be agile and playful and a bit and a bit silly the institute for the future in palo alto in america have a quote on their window from jim data which says any useful idea about the future should at first seem ridiculous Mm, i like that and i always say you know i went to a conference recently in switzerland I was speaking at this conference and it was an audience of like three or four hundred young people who were interested in organic farming. And the speaker before me was from some big supermarket chain in Switzerland. And in his talk, he said at least four times, so I really urge you to be pragmatic. You know, we really need to be pragmatic. And when I got up, I said, I'm really here to say, please don't be pragmatic. <laughs> the last <laughs> thing we need is for you to be pragmatic. What we need is for you to be able to be happy, to be ridiculous. And to be playful, because we're so far into the climate and ecological emergency now that any ideas we come up with that don't initially seem at least a bit ridiculous are not ambitious enough. Right. We have to reimagine everything in like eight years or something. So, you know, if someone comes along with pragmatic ideas, I'm like, no, no, start again. We need to be way more ambitious than that.
1: Because pragmatic is often within the scope of what is currently being done.
0: Yeah, like quite often people use the word imagination and innovation kind of interchangeably, and they're very different to me. Like innovation is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's like it mm. doesn't question the fundamental model. I always right. explain it to people like pizza. You can innovate with pizza, right? You can, you can change the kind of flour you use, the kind of cheese you use. You can do a vegan pizza, whatever it is. You don't need to reimagine pizza. That would be bonkers. Pizza's fantastic. We all understand pizza. It's a great thing. You you don't need to reimagine pizza. But our growth-based, fossil fuel-based economy is not like pizza because it's pushing us Mm. off the cliff at great speed, relentlessly. And in that situation, innovation is really quite pointless, what we're just going to decide, you know, what we're going to call the pension plan that's invested in fossil fuels rather than getting it out of fossil fuels. At this Mm -hmm. time, Mm -hmm. that nurturing of the imagination and that radical imagination that's able to really question everything and come up with the what-if questions, You know, we all need to become imagination activists. It has to run through our work. It's like, yes, of course it's important that we talk about extinction and collapse. But in every conversation where we talk about extinction and collapse, if we don't also talk about what it is that we long for in that future that has done something about it. You know, I want to hear like, I long for a city where the rivers are so clean, I can swim to work, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like, bring that mm-hmm. into the conversation. I want to know what it is that's drawing you towards that future, not just about despair and that sense of inevitability.
1: Oh, Beautiful. I want to invite you just before we close and thank you so much for this conversation. It's has rich. I feel like we could go on for much longer. If you could lead our listeners through a short imagination exercise.
0: Just here next to me, which you can't see because this is a podcast, my time machine, which I built during lockdown and uh, which can go backwards and forwards is very, very beautiful. And it has, we just had to repair the disbelief suspenders in it last week and overhaul the cynicism overriders. And it's working really, really well now. And in a moment when I turn it on, we're going to travel to 2030. And that 2030 is not a utopia and it's not a dystopia. It's the result of us having done every single thing that we could have done during that time. It felt like we lived through a revolution of the imagination where anything felt possible. It was a time of extraordinary and deep transformation so I invite if you're listening to close your eyes and then just sit in quiet for two minutes and just go for a walk around that world in your imagination what does it taste like what does it feel like use your imagination with all of its senses and uh, you might want to go and find somebody else and discuss it with them and to share or you might want to stay in quiet and draw that or capture some of the impressions do a little bit of journaling about that what did you what did you see what did you feel what what surprised you what moved you To revisit this as a practice maybe once a week or even once a day so it becomes a regular practice where you dip back into that world and you keep topping up your your experience of it
1: mm, beautiful well thank you very much rob this has been a great pleasure i'll put your your site and a link to your podcast you. in the show notes is there anything else you'd like to say
0: before we close no, I just thank you very much for inviting me and, and yeah, see you again, I'm sure.
1: And so we come to the end of this episode. Rob mentioned a number of heroes and shiros of his, and I'll put their names in the show notes, along with some links to their work or a starting point that you might begin to explore their work from. I'll also put links to Rob's website. I definitely recommend looking at some of his books as well as having a listen to his excellent podcast From What If to What Next. And I'll link that too. There's also a bonus episode connected with this podcast which is a guided meditation that I crafted bringing you through a visualization of the future of the world that you want now starting from the very place where you are situated and this is crafted with music and pauses for journaling and visualization and song and creative movements whatever works for you to inhabit the world you want from the inside out out into your community out into the world this bonus episode is available for paid subscribers on my Substack, And if you're not subscribed, you might consider it. It's only $5 per month. And you can also reach out to me there and comment on the episodes. My best wishes are for you and yours in this time. Bye for now.